beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. We are here in beautiful Ontario, Canada, uh, here doing another amazing interview. And we have with us today, Jay Perry. So as a full-time photographer from Canada, Jay Perry has traveled the country and beyond to capture the moments and memories that matter. Following a photo trip to Haiti in 2010, uh, mere months after the devastation of the earthquake that shook its capital city, Jay discovered his passion for helping others and has since dedicated his time and talent to numerous charitable efforts while founding his own establishment aptly named Friends with Hearts, which acts and operates as a global community of friends working together to restore the magic of Christmas for families in need. Jay recently released his book, My Dad Got Sick, that talks about his experiences taking care of his dying father. For a closer glimpse into Jay's life, check out www.jperry.ca, www.friendswithhearts.com, www.mydadgotsick.com, or his personal Instagram, at jperry. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys, for having me. Look forward to it. So Jay, it's uh, it's it's great to hear that you're you're close by and you do uh, a bunch of talks around the area. Um, but I was really interested in what well, was a couple parts of your journey in the in the bio that I'm super interested in. One is the photography. So how did you get into that? Like, did you go to school for that? That's all I really know is like you go to school to become something. Is that how it all started for you? I actually didn't go to school, and long story short, I kind of fell into photography. I actually went to school college for architecture in my early 20s and quickly realized it kind of wasn't for me and at the same time I was playing in a band and we didn't start taking the band too seriously until we were all kind of done school and whatnot and then we uh, ended up touring uh, around Canada for five years and that was kind of my job played music for five years and once it got to like I was like 27 28 we all kind of said you know do we want to do this or should we call it a day now and move on with our lives? And we did, and it was time to get an adult job. And I got a job as a web designer. I started doing freelance work and I couldn't find a photo that I needed as stock photo. So I borrowed my brother's camera and took the photo myself and just fell in love with photography that way. I didn't really have any money to go to school. So I just kind of studied via YouTube, different books, different courses, uh, and just kind of learned that way, just grinding it out for for a while so that's kind of how it fell into the photography world that's cool so you're actually in part of a band to begin with uh what was the band's name so the band's name was holiday and it was it was fun i mean it was something that we tried to push further than than it actually went but it, it was fun i got to experience a lot of cool things like when i was i think i was like 17 or 16 years old and uh, I went to my first warp tour. I don't know if you guys are familiar with warp tour or not. Yeah, uh, for sure. And then uh, I was there and I was like, this is so cool. I want to do this one day. And that was always on my mind. And then we finally, we got to do it. Uh, we played warp tour and just like being on that stage was like a dream come true. The band ended up folding a couple of years after that, but it was something that like, it was, it was a goal that I needed to accomplish and I did. So it sucked that like, we didn't go on and be able to do this for the rest of our lives. But I learned so much from it and definitely no regrets playing music. Well, that's super cool, right? Like just achieving that dream, even though it's not the full story of your life, 
it's some aspect that you like you're able to look back and say man like i did that and i think that's that's super special for you and so what did you play were you the singer guitarist i i play guitar oh, okay and, uh, yeah we're a five-piece band from stony creek area and um yeah i mean still hang out with the dudes we actually did a reunion show uh late last year we hadn't been on stage in 10 years and decided it was time to to do a show and it, it was fun i mean it's it's different being on stage now than it was 10 years ago in terms of conditioning and it was tough it was so tough <laughs> being being up there uh t- hard on the lungs hard on the body but again so much so much fun and i missed it i missed being on stage for sure yeah i never think about i guess the physical nature of being on stage and performing yeah, it's it's tough and I guess I took it for granted in my early 20s how easy it was. But again, I was playing, you know, almost every night and just the conditioning was was well exercised that way. Now, I mean, I can't remember the last time I've ran a mile or a kilometer, right? And it was it was definitely tough. That's cool. Wow, it's amazing. And then it all then like your past switched to something like photography. I think that's the beauty of the internet now is, is you can learn if you're really dedicated you don't need to go to school per se you can really learn a lot online and so for you to grind it out what was that like for you like did you ever get it did you ever feel like it was just too much and like you should go somewhere else or do something else uh yeah yes and no so so i basically started in 2009 and i wasn't sure again how to go about doing this other than just continually practicing what I was doing. And I decided to do a uh, 365 project, which was I would take a photo every day and post it online. And that would do two things that would make people aware of what I was doing, because I think that's a big, big part. They all, be, they all knew me as this band guy, but now I need to switch into photographer role. So I forced myself to take a picture, whether it sucked or not. And I still have those albums up on my Facebook that I love to push people to who are starting out in photography and say, you know, don't compare yourself to the work I do now. Compare yourself to the work I was doing in 2009 because that's kind of where you start out. And I would just learn from trial and error, taking pictures of people who, uh, I, friend, friends and family, different portraits, different random objects. And honestly, I was getting no work for the longest, longest time. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until one photo kind of changed the scope of things and uh but yeah it, it was definitely a grind on, on learning and i would again say it's more of just practicing your craft versus sitting down in front of the computer but that did help because i mean you can have all the knowledge in the world but if you're not out there putting it in action it's just going to be useless wow so what was the photo that changed your career well i went to haiti in 2010 and it was a picture i took of a young girl there that allowed me to still do what I do today. Um, once that photo got released, um, a lot of magazines picked it up, different exhibits, uh, and started winning awards. So it kind of put my name on on the map as a photographer. Uh, and then, yeah, ever since then, commercial work started coming in. So I owe a lot to that little girl. So how did you end up in Haiti? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so the 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 real story here is I was uh, okay. I I got arrested back in 2010 from, and then uh, I was at a very low low point in my life, very depressed, and I thought maybe giving back 
could be something that I wanted to do. Uh, and through a weird series of events, I met some people who build schools in Haiti, and I asked if uh, I could go with them and, and help them and maybe use my architectural background to assist in anywhere. Not, not even thinking about bringing my camera. That wasn't ever in the intent. And then they found out that I was a so-called photographer. They asked if I'd bring a camera, take some photos for their organization, for sure. And then, honestly, man, it was just a random photo at a random time. Uh, all things kind of lined up. If I would go back and try to do the photo again, there would be so many things technically I would do differently. But it just, uh, yeah, it was kind of the right place, right time. And again, I don't really believe in fate. I'm not a big believer in that. But everything kind of lined up perfectly to allow me to have this photo snapped of this young girl. Wow, that's wild. And so it was, so what was it like being in Haiti? Because it was after the earthquake or something you were saying? Yeah, it was super, super eye-opening going from Canada, in which we are very fortunate to, to live here. I feel like we won the lottery to a place that is rubble in some places. Um, it's, it's crazy how they live, but it's also crazy how they're happy with the way they live and they're okay with it. Where here, if we had any of those situations, we'd be miserable, upset, and depressed. After being there, it's hard to have a bad day in Canada seeing what they go through and how they can be genuinely okay with what their living situations are like. But it is, I recommend everybody kind of do it, go to like maybe a third world country, changes your perspective on everything going forward, every single thing and how they're incredibly socially um, rich by, I mean, financially poor, but socially rich beyond means their sense of community is insane uh, here, we don't even say hi to our neighbor and out there, you know, if somebody has food and they don't finish it, they make sure people get that leftovers here. We just throw it out, right? Something we don't eat it. We throw it in the garbage and we go on with our day, but it's, it's, it's really eye opening and it's awesome to see how they live with what they have. Wow. How, uh, how did you change after that trip? Because you said, you know, you were dealing with some things uh, beforehand and then you decided to kind of make some changes in your life. Uh, how, how did that uh, start the process for you? Yeah, I think it brought a sense of gratitude into my life, like extremely. I looked at things in completely different lights and I was okay with my current situation because I looked at it and it's like, you know what? I'm really not that bad off where before I thought it was, I thought the world was against me. And I got back and, you know, I had a roof, I had clothes, I had food every day. I didn't even have to think about where my food was coming. And it showed me that I'm extremely lucky and fortunate to be in the position that I am. And it's unfortunate that it took something like that to show me where how good I had it, but I'm glad it did because going forward, I, I take that into my life every single day and then again that's why i tell people you should experience something like that because it might bring a completely sense different sense of gratitude into your life going forward which i think we all need yeah that's i totally agree with that sentiment it's uh you know it giving back kind of adds a, a little bit more fulfillment to your own life and also you know back to what you're talking about in terms of just gratitude you know i think we all have that we all go through moments and lulls i definitely do where kind of almost trapped in my own world and you know everything sucks and people you know I see people on the street and they're and I come back and I'm like oh they were such a jerk or whatever it was but uh I, I think uh, you know 
you're right that a perspective change seeing it from a different angle can kind of help you become more grateful about your own situation um and you did that you put yourself uh in in that position which is which is commendable you know not a lot of people uh, do those type of things. I was wondering, um, did this add as well, obviously with, with the work that you do with photography and, and a lot of other creative things that you do, did it now, now that you've kind of, you did the Haiti, you went there and, and you experienced that through charity and volunteering, did that add elements to your photography that you, that weren't there before? I'm sure it did. Um, it would be tough to pinpoint exactly specific details on how it positively benefited my photography career going forward other than the one photo uh, i went back um, two other times to haiti and again this was all on my own dime going there but you know i i'm i'm not stupid and i know that that there has been a return on that investment it's not the intent of it but i know some of the photos i've taken have brought more work into my life for sure and i guess just it also brings me a better understanding of people uh, different situations and how to deal with them so i guess that's like the, the real answer is i'm not sure if it really did hmm, anything creatively going forward but i'm sure i'm sure it subtly has or subconsciously has for sure yeah and do you ever look back at um you know, your music days and do you feel like, do you get the same sense of fulfillment doing photography and doing what you're doing now as you did back then? Or is it just a different uh, sense of fulfillment? Definitely a different sense, but still there's fulfillment there. I mean, when, when the band ended before, you know, like I was kind of in my rock bottom stage, I, I looked at everything I did in life previously as a failure um even growing up i tried to make it somewhere in hockey and i didn't do that so failed i played in this band we, we tried to be these you know worldwide famous rock stars didn't do that so i failed at that and then but then i, I kind of realized like you know what you didn't really fail at music if you look at it in a different sense meaning i learned so much about life learning how to deal with promoters help me in the business world now uh just dealing with friends uh, in a band, practicing socially, social elements, traveling. Uh, so I, I don't look back on it with any regrets. And it's definitely, yeah, there's there's two different kinds of fulfillment, I would say, in photography and, and the band as well. Both very rewarding and enlightening. And I think a part, a part of me that, or part of something that I needed in my life. I do miss the band world a lot. I think I missed the the traveling part of it. I, I loved going to different cities all the time. Just living out of a suitcase, I think, was something I was kind of meant to do. So I do I do miss that, but I'm very fortunate that I got to experience it. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we're we're you know just just so hard on ourselves, and especially with artists. I mean, that's it's 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 we all know that it's tough, right? Like to to make it into the you know quote unquote. Uh, whatever into that world make it to the top but you know again like looking back is like you know you're obviously you know able to criticize yourself but like as an outsider i look at that and say wow they were pretty successful you know you you played for how many years you end up being on a warp you know a very famous tour the warp tour and and you you made it you know I, that's incredible but obviously you know that's you, you yourself you might be, see it as a failure 
but you know and i'm sure you you maybe you look at it a bit different now but uh you know you look at that and and all those attempts all those times practicing all those things you know that they i don't they're not failures i mean that's just a part of life and, and failure is a part of life as well so and i'm sure it's it's given you so much more back um than what you expected so that's incredible and and you know hopefully you know I'm glad that you're still doing it here and there and, and, you know, seems like that you can still incorporate that somewhere down the road uh, into your photography or into what you're doing now. Cause it's all that creative energy. That's, you seem to be a very creative person, which is amazing. Yeah. You know, I did look at the band experience as a failure years ago, but now I've totally changed my outlook on it because I think definition of success is dependent on everyone. Everyone's different um, opinions and, I think if we compare ourselves too much, that's when you start bringing in the aspect of failure. Were we a success? I think so. You know, I had a goal of playing warp tour when I was like 17 years old and we did that. So that was my goal and and we did it. So I it took me a while, but now I look back and like, man, we we did some amazing things. I have stories to tell for the rest of my life. And that to me is a success 100%. Yeah. And it's commendable that you have such high expectations of yourself. You know, you would like you, you consider them failures because you, you had, you, you set the bar for yourself, whether it was the hockey, you know, make it in hockey or make it into music. Uh, so, so that's, that's pretty cool and amazing in itself is that, you know, you keep yourself to these type of goals and, and, you know, you might not fulfill the goal per se, but you know, all that work, all that, those adventures, those journeys, those hustling, that that's still there. That that's a part of your life and you've incorporated that. And now you're switching it and doing it onto something else because you are, you know, you're an amazing creative person that you can do that. But you now you've got a different now you've got obviously different goals that you're striving towards. Dude, what one hundred percent. Like I said, I bring a lot of what I learned back then into every day, every single day now. And uh, I love it. Yeah, I think it's amazing how you're talking about changing the perspective on an event will change what the event is to you. And so how did you how did you get there? So like, how did you get from seeing it as a failure to seeing it as something as a success? Was it because I think I mean, was it because that you're transitioning? So you're kind of depressed. But now that you sort of found your footing in life, it's a lot easier to look back and, and see the positives. I think so. I think it goes a a lot back to again just being grateful for different situations um, that you've had in your life i uh, yeah i was at a, a very very low place in my life and you know i i can't say that i still don't get there from time to time the depression is still a little bit a part of my life and anxiety not nearly as bad as it used to be and i've learned to deal with it but yeah it's taken you know a few years to finally look back and say those those weren't failures those were successes but actually how i've i've changed um i don't know if there was a significant day let's just say where i went from like no 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 to yes 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 i think it's just a gradual it's gradually over time that that happens from just continually practicing again being grateful um I think a lot of it had to do with just changing my mindset on different views of life and and not being the victim all the time and that the world is against you. It's like, no, like if you think that way, then you'll never have any sort of happiness in your life. And bad things happen to good people all the time. Bad things happen to bad people. 
And it's tough for me to pinpoint an exact time other than all these different events leading up to me being able to change my outlook. So you're saying it's the grind, you know, like you really want that, that change or that, that growth. It's that grind and it doesn't happen overnight. It's like, you have to keep at it, keep working, keep remaining grateful in times and situations where some people say, screw this, this, I, there's no way I can see, you know, anything positive in this situation, but like trying to find a way. And at, at the end of the day, it seems like sort of worked out, which is amazing for you that you've had that skill to begin with through your, you said the hockey, through the photography, like going, like if when you have a desire of some sort, um, you're really good at, you know, finding a way, like grinding it out because you're right. Like, I think a lot of people think that, you know, like you pick up this book or you, you join this religion and all of a sudden your life will change. And I don't think it's like that. There's you know, a lot fun. of work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny is, uh, what's helped me kind of have clarity in my mind is actually grinding or hustling less. And what, what I mean by that is still being a hard worker, but uh, putting a massive priority on sleep, which I was never, never doing. I was the guy that would go to bed at 12 or 1, uh, be up at 5.30 uh, and start grinding right away. Because my mindset was the more hours I'm awake, the more I have over the competition, the more I'm going to do. And it was just putting me in a negative mood a lot of times versus I started doing, you know, different research on sleep and how important it is. And this is over the past few years that I've put such a massive priority on sleep. And now I'm doing better work. I'm more clear and I'm, I'm grinding harder during the times that I'm awake versus longer hours of grinding, let's say. And I think that's something that, I worry right now about the the so-called business gurus out there who are saying, you know, work 24-7, sleep when you're dead, go, 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 go. It's like, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's the right way to do it. Yes, hard work is essential to getting you ahead. But I, I think that we've got to tell this youth growing up that, hard, you know, hard work is important, but also you have to be at the top of your game and do that. I mean, sleep's so important. I didn't know, like, the importance of sleep until I took the course in university and then taught the course. And it's just like, it's amazing how people just don't know. And it's like the first thing when you need extra time, it's the first thing people will think to cut out, but you're right. There's so much that sleep does for us to elevate our mood, help us, you know, work, work more efficiently in the time that we have, which is what you're saying. Uh, and just health wise, right? Like it's, and you said like, even like, just getting the right amount of sleep can help you with your perspective because now you're not in a negative state waking up, like you're waking up refreshed and alert. So I think that's great. And it's, it's great to sort of put out there how, how much we do need sleep. There's a reason why, you know, the, all the animals and us are actually sleeping, right? There's something it's doing uh, for us that, you know, sometimes we just can't acknowledge. Um, so, you know, with all that, when did your when did you say you know what I'm gonna start a charity I want to give back a little bit more in Canada? Well, after my first trip in Haiti, uh, somebody said to me, uh, "Why are you going down there to help out? When why aren't you helping out in your hometown?" And kind of brushed it off a little bit, like you know, shut up, who cares? Like 
who are you? Like, what are you doing? Kind of thing. Uh, but then it kind of stuck with me for some reason. And one day I found a photo of me playing with a toy at Christmas. And I can remember, somehow remember the joy I was feeling that day. My parents had bought me that toy. And I was like, you know what? It sucks that so many kids don't get to experience that sense of joy that I felt that morning. And I was like, I wonder if we can do something about that. So I wanted to bring back the sense of community from Haiti into Canada. So I thought, let's do it as friends. So I contacted a local organization and was like, you know, how much does it roughly cost to sponsor a family at Christmas? And they said $250 roughly. It's like, cool. So I wanted to do it. I reached out to nine other friends or, or sorry, I reached out on Twitter and said, would nine other people want to throw in $25 and we could sponsor a family. And right there, everyone just lit it up. I was like, yep, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And the goal was $250 that year. And we ended up raising, I think it was like around $1,400, which is like, you know, not a ton of money, but in terms of our goal, we, we smashed that. And that's when right there, I decided like, this is something here. This is something cool. And how can we grow this and what can we do with it? And that's kind of when friends with hearts started right there. And to note for people listening, um, it's not a charity. Um, we don't have charitable status, nor will we ever get it, but we are partnered with different charities. Uh, so that's kind of, it's, it's a little bit different on how we do things, but we definitely have, uh, have grown since since year one so that's kind of how it started that's amazing so how many years have you been doing it uh we did uh, our eighth year in uh last year 2018 and since you know 2011 we've uh expanded to five other cities started chapters in there and i think the number is somewhere we will never have an exact amount that we've brought in because we have an exact amount in money donations, but we also get gift donations as well. So we, we can't put a, a money a number on the gifts that come in, but monetary, it's it's somewhere around $148,000 that we've brought in since that $250 goal and given Christmas to over 2,100 kids, I think it is. So it's it's grown significantly. And as much as it was my idea to start this, it wouldn't be possible with the, the people who donate, who volunteer who share our stuff people like yourself who have me on a podcast they get to talk about it that it wouldn't be possible to grow without those individuals yeah i think it's amazing what you're doing and so you're trying to get back i'm curious i'm really curious on how how does it all work in the sense of like the gifts so you buy toys for the children i'm guessing and then do you match the toy with like a child, like age and gender kind of thing? Like how so, does that work? Yeah. So here's what happened. We were, we are partnered with Good Shepherd in Hamilton and that's where we get our friends from. This is the, the Hamilton chapter of Friends of Hearts is partnered with them. And so how it started was we would raise, say we start the fundraising November 1st, we would raise X amount of dollars. And by like uh, end of November, I would say to Good Shepherd, hey, we've raised $4,000. And they say, okay, cool. Here is, you know, this many families that you'll be able to sponsor. And they would give us a sheet that said, uh, you know, just very basic stuff. Two-year-old girl, here's her sizes. Um, here's a little wish list. Four-year-old boy, 
sizes, little wish list. And we'd kind of base it off per family. So we'd buy specific gifts for that family. And then I think it was, you know, a few years ago, uh, same, same model, went to Good Shepherd and said, hey, we have $22,000 raised. And they came back to us and said, well, we don't have enough families for you. You've, you know, that's, you've got more money than we need. So what happened was they have an easier time filling those specific families versus they have these generic lists that they have. And what the generic lists are is there's a lot of centers that Good Shepherd has around the city and the social workers um, don't have time to put specific family lists together. So these generic gifts come in, then the social workers go in this room and put packages together based on these and bring them to the families. If that makes any sense, I, I hope it does. So what we do now is they'll give us a generic list and say, you know, Martha's house needs board games, diapers, children's clothes, baby's clothes, cribs. Uh, this other center needs this, this, and this, and this. So this allows us to go into a store and we're partnered with uh, Mastermind Toys in Ancaster. And for the past two years, they closed the store off one night and we dropped, I think, seventeen or $18,000 in toys there. And this way, it's just all, uh, I wouldn't say random stuff, but this allows the social worker to put now packages together from our gifts to bring to the families. And not only do we buy toys, I believe every child should have a toy under the tree at Christmas. But what we do is we also take care of life necessities, diapers, clothing, winter boots, winter hats. I mean, we've seen lists, eight-year-old kid asking for a winter coat sometimes. And it's heartbreaking to think that this child may have went without a winter coat. And for all your listeners who are listening south of the border or somewhere hot, you you can't go without a winter coat in Canada during the winter. It's just It's just not possible, especially for an eight-year-old kid. So we like to take care of that stuff too, some food vouchers. And there's some teens we get too. And what they ask for sometimes is, you know, tickets to uh, see a movie, um, bus tickets, just just an, a, a night out with their friends. That's all they ask for. So that's kind of how it's working right now. We get all this money, we buy all the gifts, and then we host a wrapping party where people, volunteers come and help us wrap all the gifts for these kids. And that is that is one of the things I think that differentiates us from other organizations is this wrapping party. Because I think that's so important, having these people actually put their physical hands on the stuff that we're giving them. Also, it's a, a time where parents are now starting to bring their young children out to wrap just to kind of teach them these values at such a young age that, hey, you have everything you want, but some kids don't. We're going to this place to help wrap for these kids that we might go without this Christmas. So we're, they're learning little things about charity that way, which I think is pretty cool. So yeah, the business model, not business model, I guess the, the charitable model has evolved over time, which I knew it would. And, and uh, we've kind of streamlined things a little bit, which helps a lot because it's very, very time consuming, extremely time consuming, as you can imagine. But I kind of hope that makes sense or it wasn't just rambling. Yeah, no, that's incredible, and uh, thanks for going into detail because uh, those are the those that's what we wanted to hear. But uh, I was wondering, do you get any feedback other than you know kind of the wrapping party? But do you get feedback from the people who are actually receiving the donations? We we do. So the one part that sucks is that 
we don't get to meet the families or give them the gifts. I think that would be pretty cool, pretty special. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, under- <clears throat> I understand the confidentiality issues there, and, and that's fine. But sometimes the families that receive the gifts do write letters to Good Shepherd to say thank you, and they give us those letters as well. So we get to see that. But something incredible happened last year. One of the social workers there, she takes care of some seniors there. So what had happened was these set of seniors um, didn't have any money over the past few years to give their grandchildren gifts at Christmas. So they felt bad. We've kind of heard that story before, but this one is a little special because what they were also not taking a part in was family Christmas dinners. So many years ago, they would go to these Christmas dinners without gifts for the grandkids because they didn't have any money. But the other set of grandparents did have gifts for the grandkids. So they started to feel embarrassed showing up with nothing. So they stopped going to the family Christmas dinner. So this year, this past year, the social worker was able to take some of our gifts to give to these seniors. Now the seniors went to their family Christmas and they wrote on, you know, to so-and-so, love grandma and grandpa, and they were able to bring gifts. So not only were they able to provide for their grandchildren, they were able to be a part of the family Christmas dinner. So I think it's like, that's one thing that really hit me as something that we're doing amazing, not just providing for the kids, but actually we brought a family together. And I, that to me is incredibly um, rewarding on our end. So that's one of the stories that we, we get back. Wow, that's beautiful. And it's also heartbreaking at the same time on the circumstances that people people live in or pe- people restrict themselves to do uh, because of their financial situations. And I said that at the end of the day, I love the concept. And Christmas is one of those times where it is about family. It's really about a lot of love is out there. And, you know, people want to showcase that through giving if it's, you know, to their children or, or receiving. So I think it's yeah. amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And, you know, good for you for opening that and starting that and watching it flourish. I'm curious about your dad. What was his reaction to you starting this and seeing, and, and all of the thing? Did he participate in the wrapping? Uh, he, he never made it out to a rapping party, but he was such a massive supporter in this. I, it's, it's funny. I think I've seen him insanely proud of me a few times and I know he was always proud of me, but there, he was a shy, quiet guy, but there was only a few times he kind of like really showed it. One was uh, a few times at hockey. One was the first time he seen me play live in a band and other times were with friends with hearts. So after I transitioned from uh, playing music to photographer, he would, if people asked about me, he would say that I was a photographer. Here's my son. He's a photographer. He does this, this, and that. When the charitable stuff started happening, he started saying that first. This is my son. You got to see what his organization is doing, uh, giving back. So that told me that he was insanely proud of what we were doing there's a photo of him helping out um, at his home he was putting mailing labels on envelopes for me on letters that i was mailing out to all the donors and he was very sick at the time too and he was still doing it he was up there and he was making sure all the stamps got on there Uh, and it was no problem because he was very 
very happy to be a part of, part of it. He was going to come to a rapping party once, but that was like later in his journey. Um, and he was just not feeling well enough to do it. But he was very, very proud. I, I know of the work we were doing with Friends of Arts. Oh, that's amazing. I'm glad you were able to feel that sense of, you know, being a good son. You know, like there's as much as we get older, we still want our parents to be proud of us. We still want that sense of, you know, we did good in this world. And we kind of, you know, we look to our parents in a way to sort of see that. And so I'm glad you were able to to have those moments to know that, you know, your dad was super proud of you and what you did. I'm guessing he was also proud of you on how you, I guess, handled his loss. So could you, or, or just his, his dying. So could you talk about what went through, because he had cancer, right? Yeah. Um, what happened between the both of you and, and basically you know, that whole story, that journey uh, that you went together with him? Yeah, in uh, early 2013, he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And that's kind of when I immediately made a decision to become his caregiver. And because he was given nine months to a year to live. So I thought, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to, well, at the first, first I thought I was going to do whatever I can to cure him. The naive person, you know, trying to play doctor as we all do at the start of a diagnosis soon to find out that that's not going to happen on, on my end and just to spend the time with him. So I tried to maximize how much time I was going to be with him over those nine months to a year to make sure I didn't live in with any regret going forward. And yeah, he ended up living two and a half years and just kind of like baffling doctors along the way. And him and I uh, became extremely close. Um, you could say cancer made us become best friends. You know, unfortunately, it had to take that to do it. I mean, we were always close, but not this close. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm taking the positives from his diagnosis and that it did make us become best friends. So yeah, it was, it was his journey that I volunteered myself for. Wow. That's wild. So what was it like taking care of him? Was it a little awkward at first or did you just fall into that role? Cause I'm guessing you weren't trained in caregiving, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had no idea what I was getting myself into and at the start, I mean, he was physically okay. It's so weird, cancer diagnosis, and you're like, this person is so sick. And you're like, what? Like, he's exercising. He's doing everything normally. He's outside gardening. And you're telling me he's going to be gone in a few months? And you just can't fathom that. But you you want to be there just to, for the just-in-case moments, I guess, right? Uh, and the the actual insane caregiving didn't happen until near the end of his journey, where you'd have to, you know, shower him, shave him, help him up and downstairs all the time. And when those opportunities presented itself for me to either say, no, I don't want to do this, or I want to do this, or will it feel weird? I never got that. It was always, this is what I'm meant to do. This is what I'm going to do. I never looked at myself as a caregiver. I looked at myself as his son. And this is what I'm going to do. And I always say, you know, he growing up, he gave me the greatest care ever. And now is my time to take care of him. I mean, I always knew that you always think you're going to take care of your parent, but not until they're well into their 90s. And my dad was 64 when he passed, and I never thought it'd be that soon. 
but anytime a situation came up where it's like, Hey, let's go shower dad, you know, not a problem. Let's just do it. Let's figure it out. Let's get it done. And I made a lot of mistakes on the way for sure. I did. And that's why, you know, I want to do these talks and tell people uh, what I learned from the journey because I, I looked around for different forms of, of media on caregiving and what I was getting myself into, what I should do, should it do. And I couldn't find much at all. And going back to the sleeping thing, I wasn't sleeping at all because again, I thought the more time I'm awake, the more time I can spend with him when it's actually, you know, the better rested you are, the better care you can give them. So it was a 100% learning experience that I had to, again, it goes back to my photography thing, just trial and error, just figure it out. And that's exactly what I was doing in this whole process was figuring it out as I went along. And hopefully I wouldn't screw up too much and I could take whatever I learned with me going forward. That's a, that's incredible. And uh, just hearing hearing you talk about that, you know, you took a journey that, like you said, most people don't really think about doing that until, you know, their parents are kind of later on in life. But uh, you, you embraced it and, and you know, must have been fears and, and like you said, a lot of maybe doubts and this and that. But, you know, you like you said, you, you were comfortable once you got in there and it, you just didn't have those anxieties that you thought you might have would have had or in people from society like I was thinking about that about what were your conversations like with other people maybe friends or people you know outside of your circle uh, when you describe that to them or talk to them about that well I didn't really make it public about my dad's diagnosis until a year and a day into his into his journey it was the day he you know, wasn't supposed to see so for that whole year, I was kind of keeping quiet about it, which going back is, is one regret I have. I sh- and because there was lonely times in that year that I think friends would have been able to help me with, but I can't hold any grudges towards them because they didn't know. They had no idea. Now going forward, once people knew about it, that's when you really find out who your friends and family are. The ones that shy away from it are the ones that kind of are there for you no, no matter what. And I think describing some of the things to these friends that I was going through, uh, some of them are very surprised at it. Some of them feel regret for not helping out. And I was, I was kind of upset at some specific individuals for not stepping up, but I got over that because that's their choices and that's the regrets they're going to have to live with for the rest of their lives. Not me. And now going forward, I, I tell people in caregiving position, you know, tell as many people as you can, because you're going to need that support system more than you think. And the people on the other end who are supporting you also have no idea what to do, right? Don't know what to say. Is this going to make them upset? And I want to let people know it's just, you know, it's okay to talk about it because those people need to talk about it. And it's funny because, again, I didn't get a ton of support from friends and family. But I know that was my error. In, in retrospect, I would have done things a little bit differently and told them about it more. But once I did start sharing stuff about the, the journey via social media, that's when I kind of realized, like, 
wow, like there are so many people out here going through something that I didn't even realize. And I was hoping being this vulnerable, which was so tough, that might help some caregivers going forward. And that's why I'm okay with talking about it, doing these podcasts, because uh, if it does assist one person's situation, then I think we all win, right? Because I know what it's like going through it alone, just those those days sitting there. And, and you get uh, Google Google happy and like, how can I cure this? What can you do next? And it's like just leading you down a wormhole of terrible, terrible stories and terrible news, which leads to like, oh my God, like I just need a beer. I just need to drink a beer just to settle down. And it's like, I just need a second beer, third beer, fourth beer. And the next thing you know, you're eight, nine beers deep and you're tearing up about your situation, which is going to happen, but definitely not healthy. It's a, it's a small uh, medicinal fix for the moment, but, but not healthy. So there's so much stuff, stuff that uh, I wish friends would have done that I'm hoping to tell future friends it's okay to do it's okay to step up and there's also silent ways to help as well yeah absolutely and you're absolutely right it's that conversation you know obviously needs to happen and and being open to talk about it and share about it um i think and that that's something that obviously we're doing with the the grief dreams podcast is just having conversations and and trying to change the perspective on loss, death, and, and really just because people have fears and, you know, just um, I, my grandmother passed away recently and sitting with her, you know, before, before she was in that situation, I can safely say that I, I might've feared that those moments, you know, sitting with her when she was in a coma and watching her kind of pass, because just like any other normal person, you have these, thoughts like you don't want to see your loved one in this situation you know you don't want to see them like this or whatever it might may be that kind of keeps you away from those situations but when it came down to the moment and and seems like you're the same when it came down to the moment of taking care of your father you know you you, you just got right in there and and like you said before as you got through it you know it was comfortable like you weren't like you know oh, this is awkward oh you know whatever but you, you kind of you did that and so you know, telling now telling people your story, and especially I think it's important to tell people our age, you know, I don't know how old you are, but I'm I'm 34. And I think a lot of people our age, my age don't necessarily we don't have that in our mind. Sometimes, you know, if if we haven't gone through losses like that, then we definitely kind of we're not looking at those type of things. But I think it's important to kind of hear about it, learn about it and and you know, understand that people in society, your loved ones are going through these type of things and will be going through these type of things. So it's, it's beneficial to embrace yourself with it and get comfortable with it. Let's talk about your book because then you wrote a book about it. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Walk uh, us through that. Like okay. what was uh, your, what was your decision to write the book? Um, what made you want to do it in the first place? So going back to when I started sharing stuff on social media, the the engagement I was getting on these posts about what I was going through as a caregiver was insane, um, and it's funny because I, I always say I I've photographed some um, some celebrities and professional athletes, and I would post a photo say of that person on Facebook, and 
the engagement would be so low. It's surprising to me. I'm like, this is like a really famous person. Really? I shot this photo. And then I'd post a uh, true, honest story about my journey and it'd be through the roof. And I realized it's like, this is because it's honest and people are also going through the same situation and they needed to hear it. So after a bunch of posts, I thought like, you know what? I'm filled with all this knowledge. It'd be a shame to not have other people be aware of it who might need it. And for some reason, I thought a book would be the best platform for it, which doesn't make sense because I don't consider myself a, a great writer whatsoever. And I based that on me pretty much failing English class in high school. <laughs> and I posted actually a transcript uh, or report card from my high school days the other day. And at midterm, I had a 51, which I think was a bit generous because I think uh, there's also a 50 on there in another class. I think the, the sports politics went into my grades where if um, you failed, you couldn't play high school sports and the hockey team wanted me to play. So I think there was a little collusion going on there. But um, yeah, I was never a, I was never a reader, never mind writer. So why book came to me was very interesting. And I just, but I thought, you know, after my dad passed, I was like, okay, I got these stories. I'm going to write this book. It's going to take a month because all the stories already happened. I just got to get pen to paper and going to get it out. But that month turned into two years, just over two years of writing and over just about a year of trying to figure out how to get this book out. Because I think the writing was also therapeutic for myself, still well grieving. There were times where I'd be writing and I'd come to tears right away just thinking back of memories and I'd have to stop for about a month or so and then kind of pick it up again. And that's, that's kind of how the book came to be, I guess. And just realizing that I, I wanted to figure or pass on some information that I wish I kind of had at the start of my caregiving journey. And the book, although the book is intended for caregivers in the start of a loved one's journey, I'm now finding out other people who are benefiting from reading it, people who have lost in the past, people who just have no one sick, but realizing the importance of family and love in there and changing their schedules to add more of that into it. So it's been a very interesting, I guess, second part of this journey on what to do with this information next. And yeah, somehow, somehow a book appeared and I'm still kind of, in awe that I was able to do that. But I think when you're filled with a drive to to make a difference in someone else's life, that things just figure themselves out if you just keep at it. And I made a lot of mistakes on the way for sure, but p- things will figure themselves out if the intent is is correct, is right, is is made for a positive impact on others. Yeah, sounds sounds super interesting. Just as as you're describing it, you know, someone like you, um, young guys who's, who's kind of going through this process, you know, I'd I'd want to pick it up and read it, just just to kind of get a sense of all the all the emotions, the stories, and that leads me to the next question: Is um, what a, do you have a favorite uh, story or memory or or one that stands out for you uh, from the book? Uh, I'll tell you a story from the book that I talk about that really gave us a lot of hope that things were, were different in my dad's situation. And that, so he was diagnosed uh, with lung cancer 
and it also had spread to his brain. So he, uh, his license was taken away from him because he was at risk for seizures. And I remember the look on his face when his license was taken away. And it's just that, that independence that you're taking from somebody, the ability to just do what you want, when you want. My dad loved driving. And I became his chauffeur, which I was fine with. I was, you know, no problems. It's what I do. It's part of my job. And I could tell there were some times where he just probably wanted to get up and go to the mall, just do something. But if he would ask me, sure, no problem. But it's just, I felt like maybe he, he thought out he was being a burden sometimes on the little things he wanted to do because he couldn't drive. So fast forward many months into his journey and he hadn't had a seizure, no symptoms, nothing. And we said to his oncologist, you know, can he get his license back? Like he's got nothing. And she said to us, like, honestly, I don't know because people in his position have already died by now. And I'm happy she was honest with us. And I could have taken it as a negative way, kind of like, screw you. Like, what are you talking about? But I took that as a positive that whatever we were doing to continue doing it. And so we went home and uh, I made some calls, different neurologists, ministry. He went for a bunch of tests here and there. And long story short, he ended up getting his license back. And doctors were kind of like, I don't get it. I don't know what you're doing. And it was just that, just that amount of hope that it provided us that there are, doesn't have to be all negative moments that we can provide some sort of happiness. However short it was, he was driving for a little bit and that made him excited. And when he got excited, I got excited. And I think that, I think there's a lot of healing that goes on when you're in a happier position, when your mood changes and I think that if he if he would have just took the doctor's diagnosis of nine months to a year and said, okay, that's it, I'm out of here, he would have he would have lived up to that and he would have been gone in nine months and there would have been no content for this book. So a lot of the stories in the book are because he was a fighter and he wanted to keep going and he loved life and he loved his family. So the fact that he got was able to get his license back was all on him. I just made the calls, but if it wasn't if he did if it wasn't up to him, he didn't want to do it. So I tell people that because, you know, there could be hope in people's situations that you don't expect. And, you know, small miracles can happen and celebrate them. And that was one thing I was very proud of him for, that he was able to, like, let's say, defy science. So, yeah, that was one story that really stuck out in his journey. Wow. So I'm, I'm guessing, like, just this journey itself is has been a lot. And we talked about the caregiving. Can you talk, just touch on maybe like your grief in the sense of when he actually did die, what kind of emotions uh, occurred? And then also if you ever had a dream of him. So I think, you know, I wasn't initially in a state of shock when he died because he was, you know, in a hospice at the time. He was really bad. Um, I think it might, might be harder for people whose loved one passes instantly in a car accident or something like that. Unfortunately, we knew it was coming. Um, and, but I, I did go into a pretty heavy state of, of grieving and, and a little bit of depression. And you know what? I I felt empty, I guess. I felt lonely. And I felt guilty because I felt guilty because there was a sense of relief as well, where I could get back to my my life. And I felt guilty for even thinking that or saying that. But now I know it's okay. That that that's 
that's okay. So there was, yeah, there was definitely a lot of times where you just, you miss him. And over time, you start to realize that you're not upset that he died. And that, because you understand that death is a part of life, but you feel sorry for him that he's missing out on so many amazing moments. Let my life, my niece and nephew's life, my mom's life, my brother's life, he's missing out on some amazing things. And that's what still kind of gets me is those moments that he's missing out on. Now, I do, I do have dreams about him. One of the biggest things I missed when he died was just hearing his voice. Many, many photos of him, but hearing his voice was different. And I found some old movies and I heard his voice for the first time in the longest time. And it, you know, got, it kind of got me emotional and I teared up a bit, but I think tears of happiness as well. And yeah, I started having dreams where he'd, he'd be in there and they were, felt like almost like a lucid dream where we were able to have a conversation and I really, I really enjoyed them to the point where I, if I woke up, I do whatever I could to get back to sleep again. And that was something that, you know, it was a special time for me, whether it's like, I I mean, I don't understand dreams as much as you guys probably do, whether, you know, there's something else to them, but it's in your subconscious. It's like another world. I I don't know, but they, they were actually positive dreams for me, most of them, but there have been times where uh, I've woken up with tears in my eyes because he was in them. And I think it's because I missed him so much and I didn't get to say what I wanted to say. And I can't remember specifically what it was, but there was something recently, there was some, there was some good news that I had that came into our family. And it's always like, when something comes in like, Oh, I can't wait to tell dad. It's like, Oh wait, you know, he's, he's gone. But he came to me in a dream and I was able to tell him the good news again, almost like a lucid dream. I knew I was dreaming and I was able to tell him that. And I woke up feeling, feeling really good about it. Now, I don't know if that's like healthy that this is happening to me, but I do know that it is happening. And I I honestly look forward to the next time I dream about him because it's it's our only time to have a conversation, I, I guess. So I guess you guys could tell me if this is like healthy or not or normal or or what, but they definitely do happen. That's amazing. It's amazing you have those. And yes, it's healthy. And you know, my research is even supporting that. And just the comfort feelings that come afterwards can really help process your your grief. And so, you know, like it's kind of cool you get a chance to share the news. Because that's one thing that you're missing, right? You're missing not only hearing his voice, but also sharing stories of your life. And to be able to do that in in the dream, I can only imagine the benefits of that as you woke up, as you're saying, you, you come happy and the therapeutic value of it all. And it's very common, like just in my own research, it was like, you know, between 75 to to 85% of people within the first year said they had one of these dreams and that they were positive. So uh, you start looking at this and you're like, wow, like that's it's just amazing. You're having those positive dreams and negative dreams, you know, it says a different kind of story. But the positive dreams you're having, it's yeah, it's definitely common. And it's amazing you have so many because that's not always as common. One and then that's it. That's the only one they get, right? But yeah. it seems like you get a couple um, every so often when you yes. want. So I would tell my mom about these dreams and she would feel um, 
kind of left out because she wasn't dreaming about him. And she was always wondering, you know, what, what does that mean? Do I not miss him? Why isn't he coming to my dreams? And although the, the majority of them are, are positive and he comes to me in a, a healthy mindset, I did have one, I think it was like a week ago um, where he came to me in the dream and it was known that he was sick and that we were slowly, he was slowly dying in the dream. And I woke up feeling kind of like a bit depressed and sad that that those memories kind of came came back to me, and I, I have to you know realize and tell myself that that's that's going to happen. I think from time to time, and I don't know again what that means, but yeah, I, the positive ones are amazing. You know, yeah. like I said I could try to go back to sleep again and just be able to tell him what's happening in life because I miss that. I miss telling him about the positive things that are going on, the accomplishments, the cool photo shoots I'm doing, how Friends with Hearts is doing, because he was always, always interested. And he always would give you the time of day to listen and, you know, give his, give his feedback. It was so tough for me because my dad died and then my grandfather died 35 days later. And those were the only two, let's say, men in my life that I would go to for advice. So within 35 days, I had nobody to turn to for stuff. So I had to do, you know, a lot of, I guess, growing up at in my young 30s, I was 32 when, when my dad got sick. And it, and it was tough. And you know, it's, it's interesting that like, I was very, very close with my grandfather as well. Like we were very close. But I, I can't recall a dream with him, which I I'm only bringing this to light now because of the conversation we're having that I don't think I've dreamed about him. And I wonder if it's because to me, he, he passed away. He lived a great life. You know, he, he was almost 90 years old and maybe it's me feeling sorry for my dad dying at such a young age that I'm, I'm trying to still relive or keep him alive, which may be unhealthy. I don't know. But yeah, I, I wonder why I don't dream about my grandfather, but I definitely do about my dad. Yeah. That's one of those interesting questions that, like I even posed in the research, it's like, why are some people dreaming of the deceased and others aren't? So even for your mom, uh, you brought that up. And the biggest thing is to look at her dream recall. And so if she doesn't recall a lot of dreams, it's probably the why she's not remembering that kind of dream. Right, right. She's probably dreaming of it, but just not remembering it when she wakes up. And then for you, it's like, you're right. Like why? It's, it's interesting to look at. So why not one person? Like I'm dreaming of one person, not the other. And I think you're right. Is the sense that they're, that loss of your father was a more significant part. And there's some issues or some things that you're still working out. Yeah. And that's the beauty of the dream is that it's helping you process some of the stuff. And as you said, like he died at a younger age. So there's, there's feelings and emotions there and a connection because you also took care of him. So there's a friendship, a deep friendship that was also, that grew in that time. Yeah, and, no, I, I hear you. And there's part of me that like, wants to continue dreaming about them as maybe unhealthy as that is if they're positive dreams i think but, that it's just i i, I enjoy them and, yeah. and i guess like you said it's it's definitely helping me grieve and it's been three and a half years since he passed and it's i think it's maybe that little part that keeps him in my life and whether some people say it's bad or not i don't know i do enjoy the fact that he still i believe he comes to me you know, I, I don't know, like, again, thinking about this whole spiritual world and stuff like that is, is a whole different podcast, but, and I don't know how much I believe in it. Maybe I do. I just believe that 
some people's presence never actually leave their their physical body is gone but their their i don't know unconsciousness or however you want to say it is always present in your life especially if you're looking for it i guess that makes any sense yeah no it does and so everyone has it probably (laughs) take a little longer actually like dig deeper and all that but at the end of the day, it's, it's nice that you have that. And I said the dreams facilitate that in many people. And yeah, you're not crazy and it's not a negative thing. And so that's why I want to do the research because people just don't know, right? They look on the internet, they just can't find answers. So it's, it's nice to be able to let you know that, you know, the research is showing that it's not a negative thing at all. And so if it continues to offer comfort to you, um, that's a beautiful thing. And to just embrace that because at the end of the day, you really can't control it as much as, you know, like... Like it's one thing if like every night before bed, like you're pressing a button and you're getting this sort of dream, you know, yeah. like you may become dependent on this dream, yeah, but like yeah. at the end of the day, dreams aren't that easily, you know, unless you're lucid, it could be a little bit easier, but even that's a feat. So for the most time, they're just random occurrences that you get to embrace. And I think there's a beauty in that because yeah, you can't control them. And I appreciate, you know, what you guys are doing with these podcasts to, I guess, tell people that they aren't alone. And they're not crazy. And that's what I hope to do with the book too, is to tell people like, you know, you're not alone in doing this. And if you don't know what you're doing, that's fine. That's normal because let's try and figure it out together. There's multiple sources out there. I mean, we're working with some people right now who are doing some caregiving research. They're finding out that nobody knows what to do or even where to start. But once they are filled kind of with this education, it's like, okay, let's take care of business now. And that's unfortunate. And is it because people aren't sharing their stories? Maybe that's a part of it. But I think people like yourselves who are getting these stories from people and sharing them with the world, I think is going to help a lot of people going forward with their grieving process. So again, from the bottom of my heart, you know, thank you guys for what you're doing. Well, thanks for that. Really appreciate that. And really, it's like if we just wanted a space where if people were searching, they could find something. And the same thing you're you're doing too is is if people are willing, like the answers are out there now on the internet, which is really a, a beautiful tool when you're searching for something. And so, you know, thank you so much for saying those kind words and just being you and being yourself and finding a way through life that is encouraging others to have hope in the journey and their own suffering and their own struggles that may not always be like this. Like there's these moments of gratitude and moments of love that are that spurred up in different points of your life and to stay stay true to the course exactly man i I agree with all that for sure so at the end of the podcast we always love to sort of ask if you could have a dream tonight of your father what would that look like to you uh so him and my mom had a uh a timeshare in the caribbean and it was a place that uh he absolutely loved so I think a dream for me would be, you know, the whole family there, him there, um, and just having fun with something I know he extremely misses. Just being around the family, being around that environment was his happy place. And, and you see, I see a different side of him every time we go down and see them. And uh, I know he misses that tremendously. So part of that, especially if his grandkids were there, I know that they miss him and uh, he probably really extremely 
would miss them. So that would be kind of my ideal dream is to have all of them around and just talking with him, telling him what we're up to, telling him that his his name is is now in books being sold to people in Japan and Australia and see what kind of reaction he would get from that because he was a very quiet and shy guy. And I always wonder, it's like, would he be okay with me sharing his story world worldwide or would he kind of feel embarrassed or shy about that? But I always feel like he, as much as he wouldn't want his name out there, if, if his son wanted to do that, he'd be okay with it. That kind of gives me hope that way. But yeah, that kind of would be my ideal dream this evening. And uh, I'll have to send you guys a message tomorrow. Hopefully, you know, you sparked some sort of something in my brain that can make that happen to me. Would you want your grandfather to be also in that dream? Yeah, definitely all, all the family um, around for, for sure. You know, aunts and uncles, grandfather for sure. Um, it, it's funny. My grandfather was... Uh, in the hospital while my dad was in the hospice and uh my grandfather all the time he's always he always said i'm the last to know everything nobody tells me anything so when my dad passed away uh doctors told us not to tell my grandfather because he had dementia and and they said you know you're gonna tell him he's gonna grieve and then he's gonna forget and then he's gonna remember it grieve again it's just going to be a process that's not going to be healthy for him i was kind of against it but no we never told him so the joke is that you know when he died you know he saw my dad and he's like again everyone is the last to tell me everything that you died too <laughs> so it's kind of a running joke we have in the family and would yeah i definitely love to to see him there the biggest thing i miss with him is just going to his house and like we'd have a beer on his front porch and and he would just tell me his his military stories and just tons of different stories and i i i definitely miss having that in my life for sure because i i don't have that now and it's i i probably am missing it more than i realize and i'm probably trying to cover up that part of my life with staying busy i i probably subtly do that so just to have that would be definitely nice for sure. Well, and look, I, I, I took a look at your uh, website and, um, you know, you do a great job honoring your grandfather. Is it? That's Grandpa Nick, right? Yeah. 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 Like you, you have a tremendous photo series and you, you do an amazing, you tell an amazing story talking about how the camera he gave you and yeah. how every time you use that camera, you think about him. Yep. that's how you that's i mean to me that's that's how you honor your your um loved ones who passed away and you, you're doing a phenomenal job with that and now you keep that memory you know deep in your heart oh for sure i, I think that's uh what i want to continue to do for forever and i think it uh, i mean to me it's like if my going to my dad if my dad uh i mean there's too many people that get diagnosed with the disease they die and that's it their their legacy or their life is gone and I'm hoping to keep that going with the people that mean the most to me. Is to keep their, I think they're not officially gone until you completely forget about them. And this way they can kind of stay alive in my, my heart, my mind. Again, that may be unhealthy. Some, a doctor might tell me that's wrong. But it helps me grieve, I would say. And I'm okay with that. 
Yeah, I mean, look, we've had a lot of guests who talk about many different types of things that they use to or that they see or, you know, butterflies remind them of their, you know, daughter passed away or, you know, the color green or what have you. And I don't I don't think those things are unhealthy. I think that they're um, a way a continuing bond moving forward that you can establish with that deceased loved one. And, uh, you know, a memory is a memory and it's a refresh. You can recall it. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to keep you going, keep you motivated, and, and push forward in this life. Right. Can I can I tell you a quick story? Yeah, and, sure. Uh, going on that butterfly thing. So after my dad passed, for whatever reason, my mom associates um, a cardinal with my dad. I think she read somewhere that when you die, you get reincarnated as a cardinal, and that's what she's been going by. And like, okay, cool, mom. At first, like, Are you, you're crazy, you know. Like, <laughs> but but then it's like interesting. So. I never really kind of questioned it because if that's what she believes, great, you know, all the power to her and I'll support her. So many months after my dad died, my mom's in the living room and this cardinal is trying to get in the window. It's just continually bashing its claws against the window, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And my mom was like, this is crazy. And I'm like, no, you're lying. And this never happened ever at their house. Next day I go over again, this cardinal just trying to get in to the point where I have it on film of this existing for the next five months, this cardinal every single day trying to get into the house, trying to get into the house. And it was so, so weird. Now, cardinal went away for a little bit. I had a bad day I was having a a medical scare with me and I was so bummed out I was so depressed I couldn't think of anything of it I was I was sitting there that cardinal shows up tries to get in the window it's almost like it knew I was having a bad day I was like this is insane this is crazy I left the room going to the kitchen the cardinal goes to the window in the kitchen like I don't know if I believe in that spirit thing but this cardinal had never did it, never done it before. And my mom sold the house. Cardinal stopped coming in. Gone. So those are those weird things, those weird stories that like you just continually question, is this real? Is it just in our minds? But again, I have it on video and I've showed people and they're just kind of like, this is insane. So that's that. That's our butterfly story. Hey, you know, that's the mystery and beauty of life. You know, yeah. I've, uh, me personally, and, and I, I'm sure Joshua would speak the same, but we've heard too many of these stories, like right. to, to not kind of, uh, you know, sort of lean not towards question it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. You just like too many of these stories to not question, like, okay, there's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Something, um, something. Exactly. Like, so, you know, and just, I don't, personally, I leave that door a little bit open to let that magic in. I don't know yet. I don't know yet. We were still understanding this world in general around yeah. me. Yeah. But um, that's a it's, a it's a beautiful thing, and and that's all that's all I can say about it is that you, it's beauty and a magic in that. Exactly, and I think that there's nothing wrong with believing in it. And you're right, just leaving that door open a little bit to like, okay, we don't know everything about life. This might just be insanely coincidental, or there's something here, or is it in our minds or, or is this tower is perception but um i i agree that to leave the door open a little bit just for something that crazy to be 
be true. Because what's the point of of you know not believing that? Who cares? Like, if that gives you hope, if that gives you help grieving, why not? I think grieving happens differently for everybody, as you guys have probably been well or well versed to, and just accepting that people's lives are different and letting them grieve how they want. Well said, Jay. Jay, we're running out of time, but thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it was a real pleasure to speak with you. You're a multi-talented person, uh, and, and you've incorporated helping society into your life, and that's a big thing. You know, not many people make that decision, and you didn't decided to embrace that. And at the same time, you're you're doing such an amazing job. Of, you know, honoring. Your loved ones who have passed, whether it's your father or your grandfather, and uh, that's commendable as well. And that 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 just uh, makes my heart smile. Could you shout out where people can see work uh, and your websites? Yeah, so uh, the photography website uh, jperry.ca. If you're interested in uh, finding more about the book, mydadgotsick.com, and uh, friends with hearts. Uh, friendswithhearts.com. And uh, if you're in the Niagara area. Uh, I'll be doing some talks in Grimsby Library on March 6th. So we'll talk about uh, caregiving process, the book writing process, and uh, kind of a, also an open discussion too. The last talk I did, uh, we had some previous caregivers come out and one of the ladies, it had been six years since her husband had passed and she had done nothing to to kind of overcome her sadness. And this was her first step of coming out and actually talking about what she was going through. and. I think it really helped her. I can imagine going six years without not really talking about it. So getting a wide variety of people coming out to these talks and I'm enjoying them. Going back to the music, it, it kind of reminds me of being on stage a bit, which I really miss. And now I get to kind of be in, in on a stage setting, but also trying to do what I can to um, assist somebody going through something in their life. So. It's a win-win for me and I absolutely love doing them. And it's free. It's all free. Awesome. Shout out Niagara. Anybody, uh, if you can attend it, definitely go check out this handsome man, do his thing. Um, I think you're going to enjoy it. And, uh, you know, that's what it's about. It's having conversations and everybody getting together and talking about these things. That's that's one way it's just going to, it's going to get better. Uh, So you guys can check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. We added a donation button and there are perks to those who donate. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams podcast group. You can share your dreams or hear uh, more dreams of others. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Grief Dreams uh, and the children's book called Dreaming of Al authored by Joshua can be found on Amazon. And there are some tips on how to talk to children about their dreams at the end of that book. So we love to end our podcast with love and gratitude from us to you. introduced myself you have introduced yourself this is a very good conversation